I need to reintroduce myself, don't I? I have been gone for four weekends, and uh, it's it's kind of a mixture of, of vacation time, and there's some other things that were happening. We we went up north first. We um, got to speak at a couple of churches, one in the Bay Area in a, in a city named Benicia at uh, Northgate Christian Fellowship, great, great church there. And then we also got to go to uh, Fresno, and I got to speak at Cross City again. So I've been at both of those churches multiple times in the summertime, and it's always good to be there. Absolutely love those churches, but while I'm there, I'm thinking of you guys. And in the last couple weeks, it was just pure vacation. We were over in San Clemente, just relaxing, and uh, watched you guys uh, on the online stuff. But Michelle and I actually went to a church in Orange County we've been to before. It's, it's a large church, but it's a great church. It's called Mariners. And uh, we went there uh, both weekends. Uh, we typically don't go to the same church two times, but we did. And we absolutely just got fed and encouraged and blessed. And it was kind of nice, you know, walking in, not being in charge of anything. Like, not like I'm in charge here anyway. Everybody else does everything. But you know what I mean? It's like walking in, not being in charge of anything, not having to speak, not having to do it. We just let God speak to us. And, and what's, what's amazing to me is uh, the very first time, like two weekends in a row, but the very first time, I didn't like overly criticize every little thing. Why did they do the lights like that? Why did they do this? Why didn't they do this? They could have done that better. They could have done that. Like that typically how my mind works when I go visit another church and literally just walked in and said, okay, God, just speak to us today. So we had that experience. It was great. Um, but we're hitting the ground running. Uh, a week from tomorrow, we have a training night. <coughs> Pardon me, just allergy stuff. Uh, but we have a training night for leaders who are going to be leading our rooted groups and our financial peace university groups this fall. And um, we're going to keep talking about that every week before those launch back in the second week in September. Uh, but this training event is important. And if you're interested, you've been through rooted and you want to lead a group, we need you there. If uh, you've never led a, a financial peace university group, that's okay because it's all video led. You just, you just provide the house, have some friends over, and at the leadership thing, we'll show you what you need to do and how you do everything. And this is the cool thing. A family in our church provided a financial gift that covered our entire church for a whole year. So here's the deal. Everybody in our church can take Financial Peace University this year for free because of that one family. And so this is your opportunity. We have like just a few months left this year and we're gonna push it hard and let people have this opportunity to find freedom in their finances. It's, it's an awesome course. Michelle and I took it years ago, learned tons from it and, uh, and have seen the benefit from taking some of those things seriously. So I encourage you, if you wanna help lead, be here a week from Friday night. And uh, Donnie let you know some other things that are happening and they're very cool things. But I wanna get into what we're doing this week. This week's a little different. Um, I'm, I'm excited to be back. I couldn't wait to, to teach again. But what I wanted to do this week was I wanted to help us understand the value of what we do beyond our walls. And so some of you know, uh, just last month, uh, actually two months ago, we gave some of our local missions uh, an extra check at the end of our fiscal year. So we, we end our fiscal year in June and we had more money than we had expected. We overshot our budget in a couple of different areas and we had money left over in missions and so we gave some of our local missions some extra money. Uh, my family, or My City Youth Center, um, Valley Restart Center, and Calicento Ranch. And we had them all here, we gave them those checks and we watched them go 
It was, it was fun. It was exciting, right? At that same time, though, we also gave a check to a mission in Cambodia that we have been supporting for years. In fact, it's the longest-running mission that we've been engaged with. So we started with them back in the late 90s, and we have been supporting them, and it's one of our largest investments we make. There's a couple of uh, missions that we have outside of the United States. One is there, and one is in Kenya, and we've taken teams there. And um, I want to talk a little bit about the, the Cambodia mission in particular, but I want to set it up this way. When Jesus is talking to his disciples before he goes uh, back up to heaven, so he's, he's given his life for us on the cross, he walked out of that grave, and then the Bible says he spent 40 days showing himself to his followers. So we know that he had these, these encounters, these, these times that, that he spent with his disciples. And then he gets ready to go back to heaven. And we have a couple different accounts of that. But one of them is in Acts chapter 1. And in Acts chapter 1, he tells him, I want you to go back to Jerusalem. I want you to wait there, okay? And this is what he says. When you're waiting in Jerusalem, but you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes on you, and you will be my witnesses, listen to this, in Hemet, in California, in the United States of America, and to the ends of the earth. Now, let me just go through that again, because some of you didn't get that. You don't read it like I do. Jerusalem, that's, that's where they were. Like, that was home base, like Jerusalem. And then Judea, that's, that's the region of that area. Samaria, that's, let me tell you what Samaria is. We've talked about it in our last series. That's the group of people they didn't like. Ooh. I want you to go to your neighbors. I want you to go to, to your, your extended family who may be living outside of Jerusalem. I want you to go to the people you don't even like. In fact, I want you to go to the ends of the earth. That's, that's the mission of the church. And so every now and then, you know, especially when money gets tight, people say, well, we should be taking care of our own. I, I don't remember Jesus saying it was an either or kind of a thing here. Yes, we need to take care of business at home, our mission at home. This is our Jerusalem, this valley, the San Jacinto Valley. This is where God has placed us. And we invest heavily here in time and energy and money right here in our own valley. But it's not either or. He says, I want you to keep moving and keep moving, keep moving. And we're going to get all the way out here to Cambodia. Now, we can't um, honestly invest seriously in every mission work in the world or in every country in the world. But we've picked a few. Uh, over time, like God has brought us different ones. And in each case, there's been a very clear thing where God was saying, I want you to partner with these people. Not only can you be a blessing to them, but they can be a blessing to you. And so that's what we did back in the late 90s. We got started supporting what is called Hope for Cambodia. Christopher LaPel is uh, the pastor there. I'm going to have him come up in a little bit. Not yet. Hang on. He, he oversees this ministry and has done so for 30 years. But I want to give you just a little bit of my take on what they're doing, and then you're going to hear from the horse's mouth. Okay, can we do it that way? Yes, we can. Thank you very much. All right. So one of the things that happens every single time that Christopher is there is that there's, there's leadership training, there's pastor training, but there's also these opportunities for people to be baptized. People are baptized all throughout the year. In fact, we get reports on a monthly basis of attendance and all the churches and how many baptisms, like that stuff's happening all the time. This is why, you know, we do what we do there because lives are being changed. That's what's so cool. But let me back up a little bit and show you a few things. This is actually part of a memorial area, which is um, in Phnom Penh, which is uh, a place where it was a school turned into a torture camp, turned into a killing camp when Pol Pot 
the head of this communist regime, came into Cambodia and killed what most estimate a couple million people, wiped out pretty much anybody that had an education. Uh, Christopher told me before, you're like, if you wore glasses, <laughs> you're done. Because one, you were wealthy enough to have glasses too. That meant you probably could read. They didn't want you. They wanted to brainwash a whole new generation of people who had no like, former knowledge. And so they, they killed a lot of people. In fact, in this main camp in Phnom Penh, this guy over here, his name's Duke. He was responsible for that camp and they killed thousands and thousands of people. Uh, this is important to understand because what we're gonna tell you later, but this is what the army is called, the Khmer Rouge which means you know, like the red, rouge is red, right? The communist red, they're, they're on their way, they're coming in, they take over, they kill a lot of people to make this whole thing happen. This is part of this school turned into a torture area. It's not just moms and dads, but even kids are a part of this uh, killing camp. They have a wall in there, it's much bigger than this. And you just see all of these faces and it's, it's quite sobering walking through there. But the first time I went in 2000, uh, we walked through this place. Christopher, it's the first place he takes people when they're there for the first time because he wants them to understand the context of what God's grace is doing in this country. So this is part of the history of what was going on. And this place was uh, horrible. I'm not even gonna show you some of the pictures that they have that are there that show you the kind of uh, torture that was happening. And then you go a little bit outside of town, there's this beautiful tower. I mean, I'm not even showing you the whole thing. This thing is huge. It's gigantic. It's beautiful. But this is an area called the Killing Fields. And this is where they discovered thousands of bodies. So they would kill them, and then they would take them out, and they would dump them. And so you can see inside are the skulls that they found in this area. And again, this tower is huge. Still can't even show you it all in one picture because it goes this way. You know? It's like... These are all skulls. You walk around this area and they show you pits where they, they found children, infants. They show you pits where they found different people and they have some of the story uh, from these things and you walk around and you just get a sense of like the horrendous things that happened here in the late 70s through the mid 80s, which is pretty recent, by the way. You think about that. This good looking guy here. Um, now, when, when we go, I just wanted to tell you this. Christopher is so excited about what I'm saying. Just look at that. He's in awe. He is like, how can I fix what he's saying and put it into the language that they need, right? Now, when we go there, uh, I've been there a few times, I think four times. We, we always do a training event with pastors from all over uh, Cambodia. And so while most of their churches are in Northwest Cambodia, around the Batambang area, uh, we have Church, you know, people that come from all over the place, they, they come on bicycles, they come on buses, they, they get there however they can. And for a week, we feed them all week, not just food, but also the word of God. We train them to go back to their churches and be able to have an opportunity to then to lead those churches. So that's a big part of what we do right there. Um, like I said, we feed them. Here's a cool little side note. You remember this, Christopher? This church sent the money to build that whole kitchen. I, I can't show you the whole thing, it's big. But there's, a, when we're talking like 200 people being trained, there, there are three meals a day being prepared in this kitchen that community prepared, uh, provided back you know, several years ago, right? Uh, there's, again, you know, they're, they're eating, that's part of the fellowship. Another thing that happens is 
Christopher figures out, you know, what are the needs and let's take care of those. And so he brought over like hundreds of reading glasses one time and anybody that need reading glasses, we just gave them away. Uh, they've given, I'll show you, they've given backpacks, they've given all kinds of stuff uh, to help these people and encourage them. At the end of the week, um, everybody waves like, bye, like, get out of here. No, at the end of the week, they're all like graduates of that training institute for that week. And uh, this is part of the complex over time that, gotten built, that has gotten built. There's a church building over here, and they have some dorms, and they have this area, and they also have you know, a college here for students who are looking to, to study and, and do ministry. But one time um, in the summer and one time in the winter, all these people, as many can get there, get there and are trained, and we get to spend that time with them and uh, encourage them, uh, love on them. Uh, here's one of those times when they got all uh, backpacks handed to them. I want you to see this because this is just the people on stage. Now, there's the crowd. Yeah, yeah, we got our backpack too. Yeah, it's so cool. I got to show you this. Five years ago, um, I went there and it was the very first time I ever got a real camera besides my iPhone. In fact, I got the camera for that trip. That's how I got into photography. And I get there and there's a wedding at, at our institute. I found out later they do that because wealthy Americans are there and they're hoping that they're gonna, we're gonna help with some of the gifts, I, I don't know. Anyway, so I get there and I'm, I'm just standing there with my camera and the bride comes out with some of her, her uh, attendants and they're just talking and they're giggling and I'm like, do you guys have anybody taking your pictures today? And they're like, no, would you? And so I was the photographer of a wedding. I, I just didn't even know what I was doing with my camera. But anyway, there's the bride. There they are with the cake. I encouraged them to smash it in their face, but they're way too proper. They're way too nice for that kind of stuff. But we get to go after we train. We spend some days visiting some of the churches. And what Christopher does is every time he goes and visits different churches. So there's a, a few hundred churches now in this network. And um, so we go around, we, we find those churches, we encourage the pastors, spend a little bit of time with them. Um, but this guy right here uh, is pretty special. And I don't want to embarrass him, but I will anyway. Uh, I've met very few people with my, in my life. I've met a lot of great people. I've met very few people in my life who are so completely sold out to Jesus that they would do for 30 years what he's done. While living here, he goes back two to three times every year and just pours into those people and trains those people and encourages those people and plants those churches. And it's pretty amazing what God has done in that place. I want you to hear some of those stories. So would you please welcome my friend, Christopher LaPelle. Christopher, come on up here, buddy. All right. Welcome, my friend. Hi, John. So glad you're here. Um, for, for a lot of the people who are here, um, they've not met you personally. You know, it, you've been here for different things over the years, but like literally, it's been a few decades plus that we've sponsored you, supported you, and what we're doing at the Hope for Cambodia. I thought it'd be helpful for our church family this week to just hear some of your story, and then we can tie in some of those pictures with with what God, by his grace, has been doing in Cambodia. So give, give us a little picture of like how you grew up and then how you got to know Jesus and all that. Just give us the, the background. Well, before I started, I'd like to say a couple of words. You folks have been blessing to our churches in Cambodia for more than 20 years, 22 years plus. Yeah. I... Uh, 
grow up with uh, a family that my father was a high priest for uh, a Brahmin. Uh, he served the king at the, uh, in, at the palace in Phnom Penh. So that means my family is a, is a, is a religious uh, family. But uh, all my five siblings, my dad, my mom, gave them uh, idols to wear with uh, ivory, uh, ivory uh, uh, uh. except me, I never like uh, idol, you know. But uh, as I grow up with my dad, he served the king, and he always take me to the palace. Uh, one day, I went down to the palace and met some uh, men that do the elephant task. They clean up, they prepare to make and give to the king. While they clean up the bottom, and I see the, the ivory uh, that they cut at the bottom, and I asked one of the old men that he in charge, I said, well, would you don't mind cut, make me a cross? So I just draw a cross, I call ivory cross, and he looked at the cross and he looked at me, and uh, he said, well, one condition, if you don't tell your father, I will make it for you. I said, yes. We make agreement. You can't tell your dad I'm making you a cross. <laughs> yeah. Now, curious though, how did you know about a cross? I have no clue. Uh, when I got an ivory cross and wear it, I have no clue, but I just remember that moment I wear it. I feel like the, the ivory cross represents to me like a superpower. Uh, holy. I, I, it's, it's hard to find a word to to subscribe, you know, the, the thing that you, can, uh, you, you cannot imagine. But anyway, long story short, all my siblings wear the, the idols, and I wear the ivory cross. Uh, one day, uh, while we gathering on the mat, well, in Cambodia, we never have a, we never have a dinner on the table. We have a, a dinner on, uh, on the floor with the, with the mat. I'm a youngest in my family, and my mom told me, well, it seemed like I'm a, a favorite of my parents, so asked me to pick up what I want, you know, before my, my, my sibling or my parents. While, you know, a, a little boy, well, while you pull, I mean, while you put your hand and grab food, the ivory cross fell off from my shirt. I remember that moment, my dad, my, my family, it's, it's silent in moment. And then my dad started to raise his voice. Uh, sound like cursing, you know, to me. And, uh, well, why you wear ivory cross? Why you wear the cross? I mean, uh, you know, I don't like that. Well, yeah. well, after he yell and say something, not bad word, but just... You know, and then I walk away, and my dad after me, and then he told me, you know, we, our family is a Buddhist or Brahmin. I, I don't want you to wear ivory cross. I, I don't want you to be a Catholic. Well, in Cambodia, back to that old day, we under friend colonized uh, for Cambodia for 100 years. 
I have no clue what the cross. Oh, Catholic, I, I don't know. I didn't know anything. But I told my dad, I said, no, I, I, won't, I won't read. I promise. But every meal time, I got my cross, you know, you move the cross from the back, get the bull chain, you know. I, mean, I, I still have, you know, like this. Show off. But in the back, I hide my, the ivory cross. So I wear it every day, you know, my life. Uh, uh, then uh, the war came, the Vietnam War came, probably you know that. Uh, uh, and then uh, uh, the war came, uh, and after the war, the Camaro came to power. Uh, it uh, took over the power. And John mentioned that uh, uh, when the Camaro came to the power, we lost 1.7 to 3 million in three years, six months. That include my parents, my sibling. Uh, well, uh, when the Camaro took the power, I mean, they cleaned up, they forced the civilian in the city to move out to the rural area in three days because they used the word, we need you to move out from the city because we are afraid the B-52 bomb Phnom Penh. And you know that the story, I mean, you know, uh, B-52 bomb in Cambodia more than in Vietnam and Laos. Well, uh, they cleaned up, we moved out to the big, uh, from the Phnom Penh to the rural area. And uh, uh, it's the, uh, the Khmer they took, uh, they, they separate all the family. We not live in the same uh, home, but I'm the, I'm the, became a young adult, 19 years old, wear glasses, so take off my glasses, you know, throw it away or keep it somewhere, uh, pretend like I'm not going to school or didn't. Yeah, yeah, so he told me one time too, like they would put a sign and then they would just walk and if they saw you reading it, you're done. Yeah. If they knew you could read, you were just done. They take you out in the woods, you'd never come back. Yes. Yeah. Well, oh, and by the way, too, it's not a Christian movie, but there's a movie on Netflix called First They, they Killed My Father, or First They Took My Father, mm-hmm. and it's pretty accurate mm-hmm. uh, for that event, what happened when they pushed everybody out into these camps and away from the city and separated families and all that. So. Yeah, yeah. Uh, uh, they separate the, the young, I mean, to elderly young adults and youth and children. So we never uh, gathering uh, the same home every day. I come home uh, one maybe every two, three months. Well, anyway, uh, the Camaro, they try to keep uh, clean up or killing. Uh, if you are in high education, like a professional doctor, lawyer, professors, you know, and then go to a student, a college, and then high school and junior high, and then they try to kill as much as they can. Yeah, and so the reason they were trying to kill everybody yeah. that had an education again was so that they could start this new New re- revolution. And, yeah, a revolution, yes. and they could, yeah. they could educate people the way they wanted them to be educated, yeah. but they had to kill nearly three million people to do that. Yeah, they accuse you of you, CIA, or KGB, so on, so on, so on, you know. If you go to school, if, you don't, if they find out you was in high education, they take you away. They, they, they said, well, we send you to go to school, but okay. they were coming back. We're going to keep going. So, okay. 
Okay. This, this dude winds up in a work camp yeah. uh, building a dam with like 50,000 other people. It's, it's a dam completely built without machinery. It's just human labor. And so he's there. Eventually, though, you escape, you get out, you get into Thailand, and then you're sent to America. Where in America did you wind up? Where, where did you come to in America? Well, we came to Lincoln, Nebraska. Nebraska. There you go. It's, it's logical, right? <laughs> Cambodia to Nebraska. Super hot and super yeah. cold. And it, this is where you found out about Jesus? Uh, I came to refugee camp the first day I came. The first day I heard someone told me about Jesus Christ died on the cross. That moment, it cut to my heart. Yeah. I, I wear the ivory cross. The ivory cross saved my life uh, during the Khmer Rouge. Before, amen. But now I accept Jesus Christ. In that moment, I feel with joy, love, hope, peace. You can name all this, you know. Yeah. yeah. And, and then I make my commitment. I say, well, I want to serve my Lord Jesus Christ no matter what I go. Yeah, so they, they wind up shipping into Nebraska. He winds up in Long Beach. Uh, I'm trying to skip through some okay, stuff. Okay, go ahead. So then you decide, you know what? I'm going to go back to that refugee camp mm -hmm. and start telling other people about Jesus. Mm -hmm. How did that get started? Why, why did you do that? After, I came to after we came to America for nine years, and then it's, it's, it's my heart is still remember my brother, I mean my, my brother and my sister who back in the camp so that I made commitment to go back to the camp where I was. And I went in 1989, uh, July 1989, to preach, to teach, to baptize in 100 church, I mean 100 uh, believers, and then we start uh, two churches yeah. in the camp. In the camp. So the you camp. weren't even allowed back in Cambodia yet. Not They're yet. still in a refugee camp in Thailand. He's starting churches there. Mm -hmm. And then they open up the borders. You all can go back. And so you all basically went to the Battambang area. You sent those churches there. Uh, uh, 1992, we brought 150 Christian family from the camp to Battambang. And then I went back to uh, Cambodia for the first time in uh, 12 years. Yeah. And then we start one church in Batambang, and then we multiply 14, 24, 37, 56, 100s. Yeah. And then we keep go back and train our leader, our pastors and leader, and then baptize them, and then we continue to uh, yeah. uh, play more churches. Yeah, one of, the, one of the great things about this ministry is it's not, how do I say this nicely? It's not a bunch of white people going in telling them what to do. This, this is the man telling them what to do. When the white person comes, we're just there as support staff. We're just helping. In fact, my first time there in, uh, in 2000, even though the war had been over for a while, there's still people walking around with AK-47s. It was a little eerie, you know. <laughs> we got into a couple of spots where it was a little scary, I think. Um, but I am a white, bald man on a motorcycle, and some of them I don't think had ever seen a white man. And... Yeah, it was, it was, that was an attention getter, and then he would tell them about Jesus. But um, one of the things I love about this whole thing was while this thing is growing, 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 um, we, we've lost track of how many people have come to know Jesus. We lost track of how many churches there are, because some of the churches that were a part of Christopher's training, um, maybe another a denomination comes in and says, well, we'll pay your pastor twice as much if you'll be Methodist or you'll be Lutheran, and they're like, oh, 
Lutheran. And so they're gone. But it's the impact he's made on thousands and thousands and thousands of people all around this area. That's so cool. Here's what I want to do, though, Christopher. Um, I want to talk about two people. And one of them, we showed the picture of Duke. Mm -hmm. Duke was in charge of the S21 camp. Um, probably responsible for killing some of your family, right, mm -hmm. in that very place. Right. Um, how did you meet Duke? Well, uh, you Duke, want me to go back to that picture? Duke is, uh, uh, Duke, uh, is uh, uh, the former uh, high-ranked Khmer responsible to kill 24,000 intellectuals. You can name them doctor, lawyer, Professor, you can name all the high professional uh, skill in Phnom Penh, and he killed the the father, the the wife. I mean, the father and the mother, husband and wife, the whole family. They kill all of them. It's more than twenty-four thousand, and uh, and he uh, uh, and I, well, uh, possible. I hear responsible for my father-in-law also because my father-in-law was a, a lawyer. Well, anyway, in uh, 1995, I met him for the first time, and then he, uh, after he heard our teaching, and he came forward to accept Jesus Christ. And the next day, I baptized him. Yeah, you didn't know who yeah. he was. At that I don't point. know who he was. Yeah. And then suddenly, it changing. He used to sit in the back, came in the front, take a good note, ask a lot of questions, you know, like God, Jesus, you know, Holy Spirit, salvation, make sure that he's get to the everything that he never hear before. Uh, and uh, after training for two weeks, and then he went back and started his own house church with 14 families. Yeah, and so he, he, started disappeared. A, he started a church. Yeah, he disappeared. He disappeared because of uh, uh, the coup in 1997. And then 1999, he came in public to admit that he's the killer because he could not hold his crime because the Holy Spirit convicted his heart to say, well, I have to speak the truth. I know the truth. The truth set me free. It's time for me to tell the world. And he came in public and he admit what he done to the Cambodian people. And uh, he went to the United Nations court yeah, for war to, testif uh, to testify for what he done. He, he said we, he's responsible for what he done. And bes beside that, he told the government that Christopher is my pastor. And so I, the, the, United, the United Nations court asked me to come to, not to testify, about him, but they want to find out how I know him. So I have opportunity just not to go to the court, but I have opportunity an hour and a half to share Jesus Christ <laughs> with the court, with the audience, with the people in Cambodia. I mean, with Cambodia, I mean, with, I mean, they live, uh, live, uh, 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 broadcasting. Yeah, that was that was actually most places in the yeah. world except for America. Yeah, and then uh, they, they asked me like, how you know Jesus? How do how you baptize him? They want you know. I can see all the seven courts, their faces. They tell me more, you know. Yeah. But anyway, I had opportunity to share Jesus Christ about Christian aspects, you know, for an hour and a half. Yeah. And that's, that's pretty. That's, that's pretty that, amazing. Yeah, yeah. 
when, um, just right on the heels of that, the first time I went in 2000, um, we had spent a little time in Phnom Penh, went to Battambang, which is the second largest city. That's where the main church and the, kind of the headquarters for all the leadership training happens. And we went back to Phnom Penh before we left, and he took me to the prison where Duke was. And I got to go in, and the three, yeah. of, us, the three of us had communion together. Mm-hmm. And I'm literally in awe. First of all, I'm in a prison, and I'm looking for the guards. And there's a guy walking behind me with a knife about this long. He's just heading to the kitchen. I'm like, like yeah, I, I'm watching everything. But the three of us got to have communion, and we prayed together. And after the guy with the knife left, then I was able to focus. And uh, I, I will tell you, this is, this is what my takeaway. I was... I was holding back tears because here's the guy that told the man that probably killed most of his family, told him about Jesus, even before he knew who he was. But when he found out who he was, that didn't change him. He continued to love him, continued to pour into him, encourage him. He would go to the prison and and visit him. Um, So I just want to say, Christopher, you've been such a model of God's grace and, and your people then have picked up on this. So this is a cool thing too. Um, I've, like I said, I've been a few times, but that first time was the funniest because uh, the roads were still horrible. They're way improved now. Mm-hmm. Uh, we wound up at one point, we were, we were in a town up in a Khmer Rouge area. So the people who used to be the soldiers who you know, were responsible for killing 1.7 to 3 million people, they lived in one particular area mostly. And these guys were going up there to share the good news with them and to plant churches. And I got to go with him on one of those trips. And so we were visiting one of the churches. And it was, I don't know if you remember this, but there was, there was a house. It's kind of on stilts because of rice paddies and water and stuff. It's on stilts. And we walk in and I'm asking, he's busy. He's doing his thing. I'm just walking around like, so I asked somebody like, how many people are in this church? And they said, you know, like 200. I'm like, wow, that's amazing. And like lost in translation, what they meant was 200 families were a part of this church. And that day we went out to the water and we baptized a whole bunch of people that day. And then on the way home, we were going to go just stay somewhere because it's a long trip. Before we stopped, this this is like personal information, but it was like potty time. And we're in the middle of nowhere and he gets out of the car and he goes, we're going to go to the bathroom here. There's men and women, by the way, in our team. And so the ladies go on one side of the truck, the guys go on this side, and he says, don't go in the field. Just stand on the road. I'm like, what? He goes, there's landmines everywhere. I'm like, I'm on the road. I'm on the road. And so I got a lot of pictures that day of everybody. I've blackmailed. No, I did not do that. All right, so I, one more thing, and I want to get back to your story. So one more thing is we're going to just stay somewhere up there. So he goes and he finds this place. And the, the only way I can describe it is it's a hallway with uh, several rooms that you would rent by the hour. Are you picking up what I'm throwing down? So this guy pays for it for the whole night for just us. Like nobody else is going to be in there. Everybody who was working is gone. And we go in. And uh, I, I go into, everybody had like their own room kind of thing. I, I go into my room and... The bed was so filthy. CSI would have broke their blue lights. Like, whatever they shined to find fluids, it would have just exploded. It was horrible. I'm like, I'm not sleeping in that bed. So I literally wedged myself in a corner and tried to prop up. I was like, can I, can I sleep like this? You know. And then I get this knock on the door, and Christopher's like, 
the ladies don't want to stay here. We're going to go home. And I come out and I go, you sissies. <laughs> and we got in our car and got back to our little hotel like two or three in the morning, but it was worth the drive, man. Okay, so anyway, the reason they were there was their whole team had people who had been killed by the people they were taking the gospel to. That's grace. And so, Christopher, there's one more part of the story that's more recent. Um, while he was building this dam with thousands of other people, there was a lady, M. Chang. Mm -hmm. She was in charge of this whole thing. And um, you run into her later, mm -hmm. okay? Can you give us that story? Uh, years later, now he runs into the lady who was in charge of this work camp, which is like a concentration camp, a work camp, okay? Uh, Short version. Uh, 2017, <laughs> I had opportunity to return back to Cambodia, perhaps uh, to do my, uh, write a book, but I never get it done, honest. But anyway, on the way to visit one of my pastors, get ill, and then I turn my phone, and then suddenly the VOA, it stands for Voice of America, uh, says Im Chang is a lady, is a little lady who in charge for a dam called Trapang Prasad. That dam had took all, like I've been do the, the dam, I mean work for her as enslaved, work 14 to 16 hours a day, it's, it's not my food. Uh, it's approximately 50 to 70,000 young men and women build a dam with our own hand. No heavy equipment. It's a big dam now in North Cambodia. Im James, who in charge? And uh, the VOA, the guy who a reporter said that Im James had been, uh, the UN, uh, United Nations court dropped her case because they accused her, because in that region, they accused her that she's killed half a million, die under her leadership. But they found out it's not, not her. You know? okay. Anyway, uh, my heart, when I saw her, I said, well, this lady, I used to work for her. I want to go and <laughs> When tell you say her. work for her, you were her slave with 50,000 other people. Yeah. Okay, go ahead. Well, anyway, my heart just, just wants to share Jesus' love. I just want to tell her, Jesus loves you. you know, that's all I want. You know, that's one word uh, that I want to, to, sh to tell her. Well, long story short, I met her. But the first time I met her is a conversation. It's not really... Yeah, she thought he was a reporter. She thought that I'm a reporter. And so she was... When I went up, to her, because yeah. uh, one of our driver brought, brought camera along with, you know, that's one of our pastor's son. Well, anyway... Uh, it took a little while, and her nephew uh, came, uh, told her that, Andy, this is my pastor, Christopher, uh, he come to visit you. Well, anyway, I have opportunity to tell her, Jesus loves you, and I love you too. Well, and then after, after a conversation, two months later, I have opportunity to meet her again to set up that we would like to visit her one more time. And then I didn't know that she bring all her comrades who under her leadership came to her home. So we had our friend from uh, America plus in Batambang to visit her village. So we have opportunity just not the fellowship but to, to share Jesus Christ. 
And then um, one, uh, uh, we have a couple, uh, two, three uh, former Khmer Rouge that her, her comrade, now they became a pastor, to give, you know. Like their uh, testimony. testimony, how yeah. God changed their life. One, two, three, four, and then five, it's like me. I'm not a former Khmer Rouge. I'm enslaved and work for her. And then uh, I share with her, I mean, uh, about our Lord Jesus Christ. I just want to tell her, uh, you know, from John 3:16. Well, anyway, and then for 15 minutes, she and her friend accept Jesus Christ as Lord and Savior. And then I have opportunity to baptize her, and then I have opportunity to train her, and then I sit face to face, tell her that I love you and I forgive for what you've done to me, to my family. Yeah. And then. And then she gave her property to put a church there. Yes, and she have a right old rights bill. She asked me, well, uh, 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 Christopher, could you help me? I want to have this place to be a place for worship, the true God, not the God made by hand. You know? yeah. Well, we changed the old rights bill, became how of worship. We lift up the, the cross. And now she became like a pastor and continued to preach, to teach, to worship every Sunday. Yeah, that's amazing. Yeah. Amazing stuff. Yeah. Uh, we, we are, yeah, you can clap. It's, it's just, how, what else do you do in response, right? Um, we're, we're pretty much out of time, but this is what I want to do. Um, Monday, so he'll be back with us Sunday. Monday, he flies back to Cambodia because the, the new minister of religion wants to meet with him. And so he's got to go. I'm like, when they call, you go. And he's had such a good working relationship with the government, which is unusual, right? Um, but he has favor in that place because of what he's done for them. And uh, so as we close, I want to I pray for you that you would have favor again on this trip and that your connection with the new minister of religion would be a good one and that uh, you would continue to have doors open mm -hmm. so that you can share the gospel. Okay, can we pray for you? Yes, please. Can you guys reach up like you're touching it with me? Let's do this together. God, thank you so much for Christopher. Mm -hmm. Thank you for his wife, Anna. Thank you for their family. And God, may you go with him on Monday. Would you pave the way, prepare the hearts of the people he's gonna be meeting with, including the minister of religion. We pray, God, that there's no obstacle placed there so that your gospel could uh, continue to be preached freely all around that country. God, thank you for the work he does, the work he's done, and uh, for what we're gonna see as you do and work through his life in the future. God, thank you for 30 years of faithfulness of going back and forth and doing these training events, 30 years. God, may you be blessed and honored by it. We know, God, Christopher is your man, and we thank you for the way he's encouraged us right now. In the name of Jesus, we pray. Everyone said, amen. amen.